0: Women's health needs, and especially our hormonal needs, are finally receiving the attention we've deserved for years. And Hormone Harmony, a new sponsor of Self Work, rates as one of the top five hormonal supplement companies out there. If you're a young woman struggling with that week before your period when moods can be all over the place, and I certainly don't miss that, or older when you're so glad menopause is here, but if you're like me, you sometimes stare at yourself in the mirror and ask, where did I go? Hormone Harmony has become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media, and a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Basically, if you breathe in and out slowly twice, that's the amount of time it takes for one more woman to understand she can reach out for help, no matter what her age, through Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code SELFWORK at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code SELFWORK for 15% off today. This is SELFWORK, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At SELFWORK, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret. And Self-Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self-work. Hi, and welcome or welcome back to Self-Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, and I'm so glad you're here. I have a guest host today who I'm about to introduce you to, but first, let's hear from one of our proud sponsors. 2022 is ending, which was a hard year for many. As they're trying to heal from the impact of the pandemic and now we're welcoming 2023 with more people than ever needing help with anxiety and depression the most common problem i hear from those seeking therapy is how hard it is to find a therapist better help solves those problems after you make the first contact their standard is to offer names of therapists to you in less than two days and you can talk to them in a first session to see if it's a good fit if so you're on your way but if not Rather than going through an awkward call or email, you simply let BetterHelp know and they'll ask what it was you didn't like and find someone else for you. You can text, chat, or talk virtually. All of those avenues are open to you. I'm a therapist because I got good therapy. I know how much of a difference it can make. I reached out and so can you. Here's BetterHelp's offer for self-work listeners, 10% off your first month of sessions if you use this link, betterhelp.com slash self-work. There's never a better time than today to reach out and get help. BetterHelp.com slash self work. I first met Shauna Springer, or Doc Springer, as her military clients call her, when I interviewed her for one of her own books, Warrior. There was something about her that I really warmed to, even as I was a bit nervous due to her being a Harvard grad. We hit it off and have had a mutual respect for one another since. Her books demonstrated what an incredible therapist she is, as well as being widely known as an expert on psychological trauma, military transition, and suicide prevention. So she was an obvious pick for a guest host here at Self Work. All of her links to her books, her Stella Network, which is an international network of innovative trauma treatment, will be in your show notes. Her guest is another phenomenal woman, Alexa James, who's the CEO of NAMI Chicago, under Different Chicago mayors, she started mental health programs in the police department and worked closely on police accountability. She helped with Chicago's response to COVID and now continues to bring mental health treatment to the far underserved. By the way, NAMI is the National Alliance of Mental Illness, and they have chapters all over the world. What you'll hear today are two very caring and very knowledgeable and very experienced women talking about these innovative treatments that are being used more and more for depression and anxiety, ketamine infusions, and what's called SGB or stellate ganglion block. You can learn more on Shauna Springer's website at StellaCenter.com, but I promise you, I've had several clients of my own use ketamine infusions, and they have been wonderful. I've never had anyone do the stellate ganglion block, but Doc Springer says it's incredible as well. So there's great hope in the treatment of depression. So listen in on this incredible conversation that made me smile so many times when I heard it. But first, let's hear from one more of our wonderful sponsors. What better time than now to decide that you're going to do something for yourself in 2023 that will only add to your sense of well-being, where you can begin every single day with an act of true self-care. Not a bubble bath, not even a therapy session, but by drinking one glass full of 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I use it every day and love this habit because if you're like me, self-care can get lost in a day full of kids, work, meals, and whatever else comes along. AG1 knows that people who listen to self-work are seeking to make their lives better. So Athletic Greens is going to give you a free 1-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and 5 travel packs with your first purchase. Become your own green machine in the first hour you're up and around. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com/selfwork. Again, that's athleticgreens.com/selfwork to take ownership of your health in 2023 and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I want to introduce Doc Shauna Springer as my guest host and her guest, Alexa James.
1: Well, I'm so pleased to welcome to the studio today, Alexa James, the CEO of NAMI Chicago. And I'm doing a guest show for Dr. Margaret Rutherford for the self work podcast. So I met Margaret through Danica Thomas, uh, one of the bravest people I know. Danica lost her husband, Alan Thomas, to suicide, and she uses his story to help prevent suicide loss for other families. And so as the the case goes, um, brave people often know other brave people. And she said, Oh, you've got to meet my friend, Dr. Margaret Rutherford. So I came on the self-work podcast as a guest. And then she was just Margaret was just so great. I instinctively liked her as I did Alexa the first time we spoke and thought, you know, I would come on and do a guest show for Margaret and bring Alexa on. So let me tell you about Alexa. She is, as I said, the CEO of NAMI Chicago, where she has become one of the truly leading voices for mental health in Chicago and beyond. And Alexa is really good at at forming truly collaborative, meaningful relationships, which she has with local prominent elected leaders, several mayors, and has helped work with the leadership in the police department to set a culture of wellness that has really had positive ripple effects for police officers and the interactions they have with the community and those that they serve and support. Alexa is a regular high-profile guest in Chicago media who has made contributions to Chicago Tonight and Chicago Tribune. And most of all, she's an innovator who believes in courage and compassion as paths to healing mental health challenges for all people. NAMI serves such a wide array of individuals, and I'm excited to have this conversation today with you, Alexa, on Dr. Margaret Rutherford's self-work podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Dr. Springer. That was a very lovely introduction. I'm happy to be here with you and chat. Yeah. All right. So tell me first to get us going, what are some of NAMI's uh, recent initiatives? What are you all working on now? Oh goodness, so much. So
2: um so I guess to lay some context you know at NAMI Chicago we really believe that the system itself of mental health treatment is kind of plagued with very very traumatizing experiences for people plagued with challenges around accessibility and equity. And so our work is to not rebuild the system and even saying that feels grandiose, but the the truth is it's not about rebuilding or reforming or fixing. It's about helping people understand it's not working and it wasn't really built to work. That doesn't mean that the incredible people who are part of our alliance and our stakeholder network are doing incredible work, God's work in terms of mental health services, but it's about it's time to really become much less antiquated and less othering of folks. Um, so what NAMI really does is everything we do is through the voice of people who are living with mental health conditions or that love somebody who's, by the way, I think we've learned is all of us, you know, certainly. And we build systems for people. We identify the current systems that they're connected to and try to help them through their own choice and journey, feel that they can heal. And we utilize A recovery model to do so. So some of our initiatives, I mean, NAMI Chicago was wildly busy. We grew a lot over the pandemic. But what we would like to do is extend our outreach in communities, particularly those of color who have been most stigmatized and discriminated against, um, most impacted by covid most impacted by, you know, like decades of and years and years and years of neglect. We also are doing a lot of work to educate folks, like particularly in the first responder community. It's not even educate, I want to switch that. It's more of a perspective shift. Okay. And in terms of how can people see themselves in other people's pain without wounding themselves in the process. And then finally, you know, a lot of our work too is around expanding our reach through our like telephonic services through our helpline. Now, 988 is out and we are not a 988 provider, but what we do know is that the way in which we connect with folks who are calling us and asking for support for themselves or other people has expanded tremendously over the pandemic. And so we're building up a workforce that can be responsive to that.
1: So you've mentioned that, you know, there are many brave and, and, uh, Sort of heart driven healers, which I agree, you know, is the case that can help people, but it's not the people so much as the system that really isn't working for people. Can you say more about maybe what isn't working and kind of go a little bit deeper on that? I found that really interesting. Sure. You know, I think that we have a really
2: like disconnected way of thinking about mental health treatment. You know, it's we pathologize folks. And their trauma all the time and we really get very focused on the diagnosis and I think we know why yeah and, and for some people frankly like when I got a diagnosis of depression I thought I was just anxious for like two decades of my life yeah Yeah. I was relieved so I'm not I'm not at all discounting the fact that it can be powerful to receive a diagnosis that validates how you've been feeling and, right. and gives you like you know that kind of authority. But we know that uh, we can get more creative and that healers don't have to have a letter up after their name. And the, our rigidity that we have worked within with our medical model of mental health care doesn't work for mental health because mental health is condition is not a broken arm. Mental health is around really significant, substantive and like scaffolded like approaches. To uh, meeting people where they are and helping them consume what feels good for them. And it is completely based on individual. Yeah. And, uh, right. Um, and to be tailored to it has to be tailored
1: you, you meeting with what yeah. is the cultural set point. Right. Experiences with mental health systems and people? That's right. Absolutely. So NAMI is one of the most respected advocates across the country for changing the model of mental health, really bringing forward. I remember when I was at the VA, we worked a lot with NAMI support groups, really for families, supporting those who are struggling with uh, mental health challenges and really looking at it from a broader framework. I think Nami's really been a leader in kind of expanding that framework a bit. But now you've really looked at innovations in treatment. And, you know, as we both know, there are some really exciting things that are developing around, for example, outcomes with ketamine for depression. That's an area that you are familiar with. And I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on the promise of that and what you've been observing
2: yeah isn't it sad that like we're thought of to be innovative because we're using an off label med? I mean, like yeah also you know when you know, I'm sure that the listeners here have have been hearing, particularly if this is your area of interest and you're tuning into this podcast, you're hearing about psychedelics and the usefulness of psychedelics and treatment and brain healing and in conjunction with like a therapeutic process now, um ketamine has been really ketamine given through an i v Uh, with you know in a controlled environment um, with a physician um, or an advanced practitioner has been really helpful for a lot of folks who we have been working with who have and I'm saying this in quotes but this like treatment resistant diagnosis I really don't actually believe in treatment resistant I think that metabolically we're not testing people well or at all to Mm. see like how they you know can manage different medications and how they kind of are in conflict in our body or how they play can play off each other in a better way. Anyway, ketamine has been really helpful for a lot of folks, which is a great opportunity. It's expensive and that's a problem. But there's also other opportunities for us to think about how can we support the psychedelic kind of community knowing that that has been like a really helpful option for a lot of people where other things haven't worked. But frankly, it doesn't also just have to be when other things don't work. This this doesn't have to be like the 10th step when we're talking about the interventions that you certainly know so much about too.
1: Yeah, we, we totally agree on that. You know, the One of the criticisms I have is that some of the most promising things are kind of last resort treatments. And you don't have endless opportunities to really engage someone in that process of of healing, especially around something that has historically been so stigmatized as a mental health challenge. You have a narrow focused window of opportunity to engage someone in that. And so I would like to see people really look at the model of care and say, how do we get the most effective care for people, the most effective relief? And, you know, I think we've both seen sequencing care so that we can address some of those biological symptoms to get the symptoms addressed right up front can really help people. I
2: totally agree.
1: I totally agree. But also like that's, that's right. I mean, that's where we
2: think about like discriminatory practices that like, you know, I certainly if you have particular, if you have insurance, if you have a Medicaid product, if you know, there's definitely, there's no ease of use in the healthcare system. I think whether you've resources or not, but it's certainly more complicated for folks who do not, but you don't see this, this like hesitancy in other medical conditions to try um and dig into and test the way that we do in the mental health system and part of it is probably because there it's not lucrative but the other part is and you know Dr. Tom Thomas insults really articulates this really well in his book he's the former National Institute of Mental Health director and he talks about the fact that like testing for and doing brain research is so Complicated, and our mental health is so much more fluid than other disease states. So it's hard for us to like articulate causality.
1: Yes, which yeah. makes
2: it hard for a provider then to dictate treatment options.
1: It can feel like more of a black box. I think to the yeah. research community. That's right. But we we see such powerful results, and you know, you had talked about the infusion delivery. Um, which is also kind of a key point that I want to pick up on because, uh, right now with ketamine, many of the delivery systems that I've seen advanced are not as well controllable. And I think that really matters. And people are learning about psychedelics, right? We're kind of writing the book as we go. And so you picked up on that. And I'd love to have you kind of comment a little bit more about that as a delivery method or or I can, you know, but I want to make sure that the listeners kind of hear that piece of it. The importance of the delivery mechanism. Yes. With ketamine, particularly, you had mentioned, you know, kind of infusion as a delivery mechanism.
2: Yes, certainly. So there's, yeah, there's different ways in which people can consume ketamine as a treatment for depression, anxiety, substance use disorder, PTSD, etc. And there's a nasal formula, which has been demonstrated to be less impactful versus the going through like an IV solution. I think that what's really important, however, is just like anything else, when something's working, we seem to we start to see like predatory practices, so folks who are providing this off label treatment um in a way that isn't safe or cathartic, and that's really dangerous for many reasons a it's a medical procedure i mean you are you are you cannot drive after you yeah. are under it is a tranquilizer <laughs> i mean it is and you really need somebody to be watching you and when I personally got my treatments. I felt really safe and secure and very, um, I was monitored um, in terms of like being connected to things, but also on like almost like a baby monitor being watched. Yeah. It's also really important because when people do have bad experiences and treatment of any kind, they don't go back.
1: That's right. They don't
2: trust the system and they do not return generally. I know that's a huge generalization to make, but we, we know that to be true from research. And so we don't want to disrupt anybody's opportunity when they're help seeking to continue help seeking um, for their mental health.
1: That's exactly right. That's what I was saying about that narrow window of opportunity. We have to get it right and give them something that's effective and efficient. Um, and we don't have endless opportunities to, to do that. I mean, certainly, you know, the worst I've seen of it is sometimes in California, ketamine being treated like marijuana where it can be delivered to your house. And wow. You know, good luck with that kind of thing in terms of practices that are not recommended um i've heard about uh with lozenges people getting high dose lozenges and being told to spit it out of their mouth when they start mm. to feel you know sort of too altered without you know the the um monitoring that you know that we're talking about so i just want to be very clear because my organization stella and your organization nami our reputation is based on responsible innovation and so really looking at the delivery system, the protocol uh, with the infusion, it's bioavailable to such a degree that you can control the dosage in a way that you can't for other delivery methods. And that's why, you know, we both kind of stand by some of these um, protocols and procedures that make it safe and, and effective, you know, so that it's, it's going to work the first time for people and, and keep them safe. Cell ganglion block is another, you know, innovation in care that's shown a lot of promise. Can you talk about, you know, your interest in SGB and how you see this treatment playing a role in supporting people in new ways?
2: Yeah, I mean, why not go right to the to the source of the issue and like try to figure out how we can heal? Again, I mean, I, I, anecdotally, I've heard people who have done SGB who have been Really um, impacted. I I think that there's also something to be said about treatment interventions that provide more immediacy in terms of how you feel. Uh Right. And so when folks feel better quickly, it's really encouraging and it instills hope. And hope, hope lost is really the most dangerous part of all of this, right, yes. no matter yeah. where you sit. So it's I think it's interesting. I think it's terrific that it's um that more people are engaging with the conversation and learning about what it is. Um And hopefully we can get to a place where the cost isn't prohibitive from folks and that more individuals can. Uh, start to think about this as an option. I think another block that we have is yeah. referrals from psychiatrists. Okay. Um, you know, there's, a, I think that there is apprehension in the psychiatric community about some of the psychedelics, understandably, this is not how they were um, taught that's the about it. Of how they were yeah, trained, cult- yeah, that's like, right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So that's something that we too also need to figure out how to Continue to change that conversation, really hear also from the medical community, that, that side of the medical community um, about their the, the opportunities that they, that they see in these interventions.
1: Sometimes I get the impression talking to psychiatrists that they're concerned that they'll be painted with kind of the California hippie brush, you know, if they advocate for psychedelics, yet we have Mass General Hospital, you know, and other organizations, Harvard Medical School, you know, Johns Hopkins doing major research. It's really promising. And some of the people that are doing that research, I know personally are very conservative, careful, responsible people. That, you know, I called up when I heard about this and said, what do you think? You know, is this, is this safe? Is this going to be a thing? And they said, yeah, it's really interesting and it's promising. And I know people that have had both with ketamine and with SGB, just a single treatment has put them in a very different mind space with Mm -hmm. those treatments. Um, sometimes, you know, with ketamine, it's six sessions. If the trauma runs pretty deep, sometimes it's just a single session that can really shift. The mind state. And what I know we also agree on is that it's not really a standalone, that these treatments work really well with, um, traditional modalities. So they're not substitutions for those, but right. really powerful it, when paired. Can, can you talk about what you've observed about the pairing and the, the value of traditional talk therapy and other therapies with some of these new innovations? Yeah, I mean I think just like with everything. I mean I think that so
2: for folks who are listening, you know, has there ever been a moment when you were feeling hopeless, you were maybe feeling like diffi- it was it's difficult for you to kind of um see more globally or gain insight into your own stuff or you are so focused on the symptoms around how you're feeling that you can't kind of get out of that. I mean, that's that's part of the challenge with mental illness. Mental illness in of itself, no matter what the diagnosis is, symptomatically restricts us from healing through practice and coping strategies and talking. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes actually a med is needed and or helpful or this level of intervention, even to be able to then dig into that space. Yeah. Because it is painful and it does require like um, the ability to not self-loathe. You know, which is so free- right, or right. um you have to be able to like have that space so i I have found that you know the the really great work happens when they are both when they are married to each other when they're particularly when people are feeling acutely unwell because talk therapy in of itself is fine It can be very passive, some people want more direction and and um in order to um seek that in order to receive very directive kind of guidance when we're feeling low requires, I think some openness to that, which can be helpful through this, this treatment. I mean, you know, listen, I think that, I think that therapy is tricky because I think that we don't always ask, ask ourselves when we're thinking about that modality, what do we actually want from a seeker? What do we want from a helper? What do, what do we need? And they don't always match yeah and so i you know I hope that folks listening practitioners or not you know really start to help the general public um educate themselves about how do you interview a therapist. What are the questions you ask mm-hmm. i you know I certainly picked a therapist that wasn't going to judge ketamine as one of my interventions because mm-hmm. there' you know there's some of that right, or people who are also involved in twelve step how will you know taking a psychedelic interfere with that if it's an absence based program so these are all things you have to kind of think about how does your treatment, community, mm-hmm. share value to make you feel the best and the most supported?
1: One of the things that depression and anxiety do is they create kind of a tunnel vision. They sort of shrink your life down. And so, so one of the things that I think ketamine can do, for example, is it can really help you as you kind of put it, step outside yourself and kind of go meta. Like, Look at yourself in the way that you think. Some of the patients that, that I've followed through that treatment have not had, uh, you know, psilocybin like mushroom type trips at all, but have really felt like they're cognitively fully aware. They're just able to get a perspective on their own situation that kind of diffuses a lot of the overwhelm and i think the same thing has been true for what i've seen in sgb too is that when it helps you get control inside your own body again then you can approach therapy without feeling like your body's going to get hijacked mm-hmm. um which is too scary for some people mm-hmm. so so i love what you're saying and I want to ask you a little bit more about that therapist value match, because that's a really interesting dimension that I, I hadn't thought about, like the degree of openness. What are some other questions that people can ask their providers to see if this is a good fit for me?
2: Yeah, it's so right, right? Um,
1: well, I, first,
2: I think it's having a conversation probably with somebody you trust or yourself. Yep. Journaling or having the conversation about what feels good to me? What am I afraid of? Okay. When can I be vulnerable, right? All of those things what um what feels overwhelming to for me to talk about or to bring up? What do I want to work on right now? and then so that you're walking in with your own data, like you're super yeah. self aware and you walk in and when you interview a clinician, you should get ten minutes of free consult. It is I think trickier now because it is so hard to find a clinician without being on like an extensive wait list, but that's what Nami's here for. we can help you. But then asking them similar values, you know, how do you manage this? Mm -hmm. How do you work with somebody who's not quite ready to go back to childhood, whatever? Um, Tell me your experience with working with clients who are on psychedelics. You may hear people be like, well, I don't believe in that. So I don't have any, or they've been really helpful, or I don't know much about it, which, you know, then I would follow up with, would you be able to, would you be willing to invest some time in learning more about it? You know, those are all things you have to remember that this human while your relationship with them is so important to your progress, is working for you, and you
1: should have the best, safest person you can on the other side. And to a point you made earlier, a lot of times people might want more direct feedback, you know, from yes. a therapist. So yes. you can even ask, um, you know, how do you feel about giving direct feedback? Like, do do you kind of are you more? Likely to have a unconditional support and reflective type of you know way of working, just to give some language to that. Are you more likely to give me direct feedback? You know, if I asked for it, you know, would you give me homework between sessions or like what do you think is the value of uh, what you do in between sessions? You know, it might right. be really important for one person, whereas another is like, I don't have time for that or I don't like working. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. I don't want a bunch of journal. Assignments, so it's you know it's fine to be bold and really figure out who is this person that you're proposing to heal with.
2: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It's such a it's such an intimate and important relationship.
1: And what if it's not working out? Let's say that you have a therapist. I think you know you've probably done some thinking about you're five sessions in, and you just have that feeling like. Not to say that therapy is like dating, but like, you know, when you kind of know, and you're like, oh, this isn't a relationship with potential, and you know, you kind of have to end it. I think a lot of patients, they don't feel empowered to say, this isn't right for me. Could we help them with some language around when your gut is telling me this isn't a good match? What can people do, Alexa, when they're in that space? I love this question because I think as a general community, none of us like to end relationships. Yeah.
2: We, we really, um, hold so much pride and, um, value to longevity of relationships, no matter what they are. Yeah. And, and I think it is incredible, right? When I hear people say, Oh my God, I've been best friends with them since preschool. There's, there's a testament there, right? About the work and the engagement that, that needs to be maintained to fulfill a 60 year old relationship. But I also think we're very apologetic. And here you have gone in and you've shared all of the things. Yep. You this huge investment and the feeling of having to start over or whatever it is may feel too overwhelming. And so we sit in it that is not serving you. And it's also not telling you that your own value. I've changed therapists multiple times. I'm not trying to make this about me, but I'm saying as somebody who works in this space, it's hard. But it's also because at different times in my life, I diff, I needed different things from a therapeutic relationship. And so when I was getting divorced, I wanted a peer and, and I don't mean literally a peer, but a woman, similar age of mine, also a social worker, two kids, single mom. That felt good for me to have that warmth. And then I transitioned to somebody who had a different perspective around trauma and a man. And I thought that would be good for me. And, you know, so like people, if you're in therapy with the same person for 20 years, amazing or, and, you know, ask yourself, would it be helpful for you to have maybe a different discipline or a different um, type of um, mirror?
1: Yeah. Are you being challenged in the right way? Are you being challenged? You can have different, you know, therapists with different qualities and focus areas for different parts of your your healing. But let's say that you're five, six sessions in, and you have that kind of reluctance to end the relationship. What can people say when it just feels like not a good match? I mean, I can share some words as a therapist, um, but I thought you might have some some ideas about that, too. So,
2: yeah, I'd love to hear from you as a therapist, because I think people think we're going to hurt your feelings. Yeah. OK,
1: uh, let's switch for a second. Yes. You know, um, I think that the first role of a healer is to be about the patient's growth. So whether or not as a human, you kind of take a step back and go, could I've done something differently? Did I miss something? Like, well, that's what we should be doing, you know, in every session with every patient to get better and better at our jobs. Like it shouldn't be about our ego in the first place. And so it's almost a projective for me. If you were to go to a therapist and say, you know, I just, I feel like I need a different approach. Um, here's what I need and see if your therapist is open to influence. I would give them a chance, ask for what you need with clarity. And then if they don't, you know, respond and they're not open to influence, they kind of have a perspective that this is my theoretical orientation and this is how I work. Then you need to hear that. Like, then maybe that's not the relationship for you. And then I think it's a time to really summon your inner courage and say, you know, I appreciate that there's, you know, different um, therapists that can be helpful for different parts of people's growth. And I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm needing something different right now, but I know that you serve, you know, many people really well and I wish you the best, but I'm going to be, you know, looking to transition to a new therapist. I think clarity and just like extending respect to somebody by. You know, speaking truth to them is a way of, of kind of showing respect. So that's my perspective. And if they react, you know, in a sort of personal, they take it personally, then that to me would be a little bit problematic based on what I think a therapist should be about. What do you think? I think that's totally right.
2: But I think that that, that I feel like I'm like the doom and gloom today, but I also think that, <laughs> no, that therapists are human too, and that, there are some extraordinary just like any profession there are some extraordinary clinicians and there are some clinicians who like um need a lot of their own support around boundaries and ego and there's not strong quality assessments as we know yeah and you are going to you people are going to have an experience with a therapist where they feel like they they are not encouraged in that way
1: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, I mean, I think that we like, let's also set expectations here that not everybody is going to be feel safe enough always to like, even bring up the conversation that like, I don't think that this is working anymore between the two of us or what, you know, and just probably drop
1: off. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that is a better option, right? Than yeah. continually yes. seeing somebody that doesn't feel safe. Like if your gut yeah. is telling you this is not right. Right, right. helpful at this point. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that
2: it's okay too to just sit down and be like, okay, well, we've been seeing each other for six months or a year, you know, and ask your therapist, like, what does it feel like for what it what would it feel like if I said I want to take a break for a while and see how I'm doing and maybe even like a little time just to kind of breathe and see and come back and commit to coming back to a conversation can also be helpful. Because sometimes you just um, need to reassess like what you're looking for. And I've had experiences with people who've done that and they've come back a few weeks later to their therapist and said, all right, this is really what I want to work on. Yeah, I needed like some space and thoughtfulness. and."
1: Or it gives you the chance to put space in the relationship and, you know, find somebody else um, that's a better fit. And that's yeah. a really nice way to do it. Um And I guess like everything, it depends on the person. Because yes. I've had patients for whom like speaking the truth is very empowering to them. Like they've asked for something, the therapist hasn't been able to show that they're open to influence and then ending the relationship in a kind, but respectful, but direct way really helped their growth, you know, really helped a lot of other ways. But yeah, to your point, other people... Um, may just need to have a little space, reevaluate. And it's not like that therapist is gonna know, you know, if you've gone to somebody else to continue right. your work somewhere else. So right, right, that's right. a great, you know, alternative approach that people can use. Um, okay, so where can people as we're wrapping up learn more about NAMI, the work you do, um, anything you want the listeners to know about? Um, so NAMI is NAMI Chicago is an affiliate of the national organization.
2: So for folks listening in Chicago or beyond, we are a great resource. So NAMIChicago.org. We have a helpline. It's eight three three NAMI SHY. And although we operate completely autonomously with our own programs and budget and board, NAMI Chicago does. We really do share the mission of many other NAMI affiliates, of course, which is to get to a place where we can celebrate both mental health and mental illness in this world and. You know, really um, support people who are impacted directly. And so that is always come to NAMI. NAMI has support groups that are virtual for families and individuals who are um, living their, you know, life and working towards recovery. And a lot of other great educational courses that are offered nationally um, for folks to really try to gain another tool around how could they can love themselves and others who are identifying as having a mental health or substance use condition. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you. I mean, everything we do is free here. I, I think that what's really unique about our helpline, that 833 nami Shy number is you get to call us and we get to sit on the other line and kind of hold your hand through the journey and link you to resources if that's what you need, or just provide a supportive ear for you, or maybe coach you through some conversations that you want to have with family or colleagues, and as well as you know, you utilizing NAMI Chicago to come in and do some corporate wellness training or first responder support as well.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well it's been really a pleasure to to bring you on and have this conversation about everything you're doing with NAMI Chicago and all of the the promising innovations that you know should unfold in the next 10 years. So thank you, Alexa, James, for coming on. It was just such a pleasure. Thanks, Dr. Springer. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for being here as we go on with our guest hosts and other kind of special presentations for self-work in 2023. You can always email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. And of course, leave ratings and reviews wherever you listen, but especially on Apple. That would be fantastic. Take very good care of you, your loved ones, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.